Lend Us Your Ears, a podcast by Bard and the Botanics. Episode 4. In Thunder, Lightning or in Rain. How to Manage the Unpredictable. Hi, I'm Gordon Barr. I'm the Artistic Director of Bard and the Botanics. And I'm Jennifer Dick and I am the Associate Director. So in this week's episode, uh, we're going to meet two of the associate artists who are so core and central to the reality of the work of Bard and the Botanics, but their jobs often mean that they are hidden from view. Uh, and that's our stage management team, uh, festival manager Sam Ramsey and stage manager Susie Goldberg. So welcome, Sam and Susie, to uh, Lend Us Your Ears, to the podcast. So you guys, as uh, our stage management team, uh, are often the, the most hidden but essential members uh, of, of any theatrical production. Uh, so we're going to kick off by asking you guys if you can describe what your job actually entails uh, at Barton the Botanics. It's a very long list. I think. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Especially for you. Yeah. There's there's a there's a lot of stuff that uh, both Susie and I work on behind the scenes. Me as the festival manager, I, I do basically all the boring stuff like health and safety and and budgets. I mean, health and safety is very essential, obviously, but it can be slightly we, boring. We're all responsible um, for health and safety. We are all responsible. <laughs> yes. Uh, Susie. Welcome. Uh, Hi. Health and safety monitor. <laughs> but I. I guess I also do the some of the fun stuff. Uh, so uh, I work keep everyone sane is a, is the main thing. Keep a smiley face in the office, and so everyone's all stressed. But I do I recruit all the crews to put up the set, a uh, uh, lovely set that we had built a few years ago. Um, I sort out the uh, the staging, any uh, little bits. I speak to the council um, and to the garden staff, our wonderful garden staff here in the Botanics, um, who have put up with us for a very long time now. Um, but I think uh, I keep them abreast of everything that goes on just because uh, they respect us and, and, and we respect everything about the garden. So I, I like to keep them informed. And then sort out, we have a minimal um, sound and lighting kit uh, for our performances both indoor and out but I keep that up to date and tested and make sure it all works and things um, and it's just I suppose all about people management that's what I do I also sort out the final house team um, and lead them on, on the evenings uh, recruiting all the front of house uh, how to deal with the random people that want to pass our space of an evening um, <laughs> or bang in the window of the Kibble Palace uh, on a sunny night yeah because yeah. basically once once we're in the run up to shows happening in an evening mm-hmm. it's your, that's why you're the festival manager it's your festival you're managing yeah. the event for the evening yes yeah yeah totally it's uh, making sure everything's running smoothly and um, just keeping an eye on on everything um, I don't get to see the shows very often because I am normally wondering my step count is quite impressive <laughs> uh, was it last year Susie that we uh, worked out we did a marathon uh, that, that was the year before year even before. yeah we worked yes. out between us we, we did a marathon over the course of a week uh, a week yeah. yeah we like to contribute to your health and fitness <laughs> yes we yeah. appreciate yeah. that yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I mean having said that the stage management are some of the more invisible members of a team mm-hmm. um you are actually probably quite well known to our audiences um particularly our outdoor audiences because you're there 
as part of the team that's welcoming them into the space, doing a front of house announcement, getting them to move forward when it's a big crowd. Yes, I do uh, like uh, that side of it. I mean, it's not a traditional thing for a, a festival manager or production manager to do, um, but I, I love speaking to our audiences as they come in. I help uh, seat them in our outdoor space um, uh, with blankets at the front uh, for those on the picnic blankets and then uh, chairs, rows of chairs behind. And they do, a lot of our audience do see me all the time because I do welcome them and, and go, come over here. And yeah, if they've, if they've spread out a bit too much and we're expecting a larger audience, I like to, or a cold night, I like to sh- shimmy them, turn down the front of house music and go, okay, everyone, just shimmy. <laughs> and uh, that's always quite fun. 200 people fun. just suddenly squeezing, squeezing closer together. Squeezing together. Um, but as I always say, it's like, it's a windbreak. The more people around you, then the warmer you're going to be. <laughs> and you kind of, you get, to know them as well through that mm. the audience you get to know kind of regular audience members and yeah this is a comeback time again there's one one of our audience members that always brings scones and and treats for us oh. um, uh, this is heartily encouraged from all audience members yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um the actors love it when they have to when they come out and grab some of the picnics from the audience but uh we also get a bit of that and i do there is a, a handful of of audience that do remember me and do come back and we chat every year. How have you been? How's your year been? All that. It's a, it's a welcoming environment, I think, that we have of our audiences. I very much agree. <laughs> so, Suze. Hi. Susie Goldberg, tell us about your job as stage manager. <laughs> so, I basically do the things that Sam doesn't, uh, not that there's many of them, uh, but I'm my job is principally to organise, I describe stage management as looking after the people and the props. So I make sure the cast are where they're supposed to be. Uh, I make sure that all the props are sourced, built, made, decorated, etc. for the shows. I help Sam with a lot of things like health and safety and in the last year helping with the audiences a little bit. Because it's, I suppose I should say, I have recently been promoted. Yes. Uh, prior prior to last year, I was the outdoor deputy stage manager, which meant I ran the outdoor shows only. But I now am stage manager for the whole festival. So last year, I was stage manager for all four, which is very exciting. Which basically means we could just make you do more work. A little bit, yes. Yeah. But it, 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 it's meant, fine. it meant less to me because previously yeah, I was but, doing all of it. Yes. Yeah. So, um, suddenly, your job. Not quite split between two people, <laughs> but... Uh, it definitely became slightly easier because before yeah. I, I would be stage managing or four plus festival managing <laughs> the entire thing. So it was quite busy. Yeah. So while Sam looks after the crew and me and you guys, I tend to look after the cast more. And while I start off every season by saying I won't act like their mum, I do act like their mum a little bit. <laughs> Everybody needs a little bit of... A little bit of mum... A little bit of mumness. Mumness, yeah. Yes. I do, as an actor, I do always like a stage manager that I can go to, (laughs) even just for a small whinge. Always happy to listen to a whinge. And it's good, I think that's, a good stage manager is able to do that, because you should never go to the director, (laughs) unless it's like, you know, a more serious whinge, but it just did like a day-to-day whinge with the stage manager, I think, keeps you sane. Well, the the technical... What's what's the word? The proper collective term noun for a for, for a group of stage managers is a whinge of stage managers. So. <laughs> I thought it was a whinge of actors. Oh, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> we we have different words for actors. Because I straddle too, because I'm an actor and a director. I get to say that. I get to say a whinge of actors. I will own to being occasionally a whinge <laughs> actor, but only very occasionally. <laughs> See, I feel the way that actors talk, stage managers talk about actors is it's a bit like your own family, 
I can insult them, but you can't. Absolutely. <laughs> like, yes. I will defend them, defend actors to the ends of the earth to anyone outside of the industry. But amongst ourselves, maybe occasionally, I'll have a little <laughs> comment. <laughs> disclaimer, we do love actors. Yes, disclaimer. We do, we do. Actors always. are incredible people. So can you take us, can you each take us through like a day in the life? And I was thinking, because we've introduced the listeners to this concept we have of the middle four at Barden the Botanics, which is basically <laughs> when you are... Uh, running a set of two shows in the evening while rehearsing two other shows. So if you want to each give us a rundown of a typical day right in that intense, insane period of the middle four, what, what would it entail for you? Oh, I think it's important to start by saying there is no such thing really as a typical day. Yeah, yeah, there isn't. There really isn't. Every day changes. It always starts with coffee. That's the main and most essential thing of Bath and Botanics is. is having the coffee machine on. It is a company run on caffeine. caffeine. Yes, yes. Uh, whether it's a uh, coffee or uh, uh, certain energy drinks, I won't name names for copyright reasons. Um, but uh, or certain colas for myself. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, caffeine, basically, everyone needs it. We all need it. Yeah. So it's, I suppose it starts about nine, half nine mm-hmm. most mornings. Set up the rehearsal space outdoors is our as our first job. Well, it starts with deciding which w- rehearsal, w- w- where are yeah. we going to be rehearsing. Um, and this introduces the concept of weather, which I think is going to come up a lot. It's in, very much a recurring theme in the, yeah. on our, our our side of the fence. But <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the first decision of a morning is, do we think it's going to stay dry enough to rehearse outside all day? Or are we going to have to set up in one of our indoor spaces? Yeah, I, don't, I think a lot of people don't realise that in addition to the shows taking place outside, we also rehearse outside. We don't have a rehearsal room per se. We do for the indoor space, but the outdoor show rehearses outdoors. They're usually outdoors from day one of rehearsals. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, there might be a bit of table work, obviously, but there's... But even then, it's generally sat round on camping chairs Camping in the chairs of a under a tree, usually, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's the first one. Where are we going? Where are we rehearsing outdoors? Um, for the indoor shows for the Kibble Palace shows um, that's usually okay because we do have a, an indoor space um, at the Botanics to rehearse in so they uh, is a standard rehearsal room but outdoors it all depends on uh, when in the process so if we're talking about the, the middle four or the, the, the crazy ones the stage is already up so your out, outdoor rehearsals end up outside um, yeah, so the the, fir- the second show will rehearse on the set for the first show. Yes, which is part of the reason why we develop the kind of overarching structure that we yes. talked about with Karis last week that is the stage now, so that at least the structure that you're working on mm-hmm. is the same as it will be for your show. Mm-hmm. But because we rehearse in a public space, everything is very much packed and locked away at the end of each day, so in the morning when you're setting up, it's about taking the barrier down that's across the stage and unlocking the shed and hooking up the power to the sound system if it's required and all of that. Mm-hmm. All of the things that in a normal theatre you could quite happily leave overnight, you can't here. Dragging everything out to the rehearsal space in Donald, <laughs> which we will explain and now that we have Susie Goldberg on the podcast. Donald is the name we have for uh, one of the trolleys, uh, that we uh, carry stuff around the gardens in. Um, and the reason I bring it up with Susie is because Susie likes to name things. Yeah. Everything. Everything at Barton the Botanics has a name. Yeah. And Susie is in charge of naming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a weird personal quirk. And one day I would really, if there's any psychiatrists or psychologists amongst our listenerships, I'd love for you to explain it to me. But I have an inherent need to name inanimate objects and give them a personality. Um, so the, the trolleys have a name, the shed has a name, Phil the shed. 
because that works on so many levels. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and I'm sorry. But once you name yeah. a thing, it sticks. Try Even our portable sound system, Glenda. Glenda. Yeah. And it, but it, it does stick. This is really, Be careful when you name something because it sticks. Yeah. It takes uh, me a while to actually remember all the names. <laughs> Last year's uh, floral arrangements, I, it did take me a while to remember what each one was called. So they, these are the floral arrangements that wo- were constructed by Susie for the production of As You Like It, and they were enormous, spectacular, beautiful, seasonal floral arrangements, and each one, I believe, had a name. What were the names, Susie? I I would like to point out, of the, whatever it was, 30-odd floral arrangements that I created for last year's season, only three had names. (laughs) (laughs) That is true, yeah. And what what, what were their names? Uh, So the the spring-summer flown arrangement was uh, Germaine. A boy Germaine, though, not a girl Germaine. Well, gender-fluid Germaine, really. The winter floral, flown uh, flower arrangement, that's a tricky sentence to say, (laughs) Um, was Morag. And also the exact reason why you name things. Because it's easier to say... Oh, the bit with Morag rather than the bit with the winter flow and floral arrangement. Exactly. <laughs> and the, the the wedding arch uh, was Tallulah. Oh, I love that. Because she was fancy. Because she was very fancy. She was very fancy. <laughs> and Morag, the winter arrangement was called Morag because she looked like a Highland guy. She did look like a Highland guy. <laughs> at one point during construction, I was looking at it going, I've given it a head and a tail. <laughs> <laughs> Lordy, uh, yeah. At which point she rapidly became Morag. So, but it does. It genuinely, like, it, it's a strange quirk that has become just part of how Barton Botanics works. Is that things get a name, but it really does help to go. Yeah, the, it's uh, just a shorthand. Where should this go? We'll just put it in fill. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, it's an easy yeah. shorthand. So things like the construction of Morag. Are those the sorts of things that you'll be doing once you've got rehearsals started outdoors? Yeah, once uh, once all rehearsals have started in both uh, the indoor and the outdoor space, um, uh, Susie and I leave directors and cast and uh, DSMs, and stage managers, stage yeah. managers to it um, to carry on their day. Uh, we're always on the phone if they need us. Uh, we can come back if it rains or there's someone in the park that's causing trouble. But the we then basically head back to our office um, and get on with our to-do list for the day. Um, multiple to do lists. Multiple to do lists. We- so by this stage, we reach what ten a.m. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, that that keeps you going through till what lunchtime. Uh, yeah, lunchtime. <laughs> Uh, At which point one of us will generally come in back and relieve whoever's on the outdoor space. If we want to leave the prop set up over Yes, yeah, so if there's been a lot of kind of furniture, furniture and stage and setting and stuff, like, stuff brought out for rehearsals. It's too much faff for, for you guys in the DSM to put everything away for the sake of what ultimately ends up being half an hour by the time you've packed it up, had your lunch, come back and unpacked it. So quite often I'll come back and I'll, I'll have my lunch outside and space it, as we call it. Mm-hmm. Or have a sad picnic. Or in the event of bad weather, have a yes. sad picnic. Yeah, where it's not it's not bad enough to pack up and move to an indoor space, but it's just a bit grey and miserable. And there's there's Susie sitting with a little salad in a Tupperware container on her own. <laughs> yeah, no, no pals. On those days, there's no public in the gardens either no, because no. it's just miserable. Yeah, so it's sad in all ways. It's yeah. the saddest of sad picnics. Saddest of sad picnics. <laughs> but on a sunny day, I generally get a lot of company, and everybody comes out with a nice lolly, and it's lovely. Yes, um, and for those of us that don't go outside um, and actually uh, sit in the office or, or in the kitchen or and have lunch, it's normally a chance for us to have a little catch-up on how the morning's gone in both sets of rehearsals. So um, anything that's come out, um, we can get a heads-up on a rehearsal night at the end of the day or 
course we can ask questions or oh, I've been working on this prop is this right um I found three chairs which chair do you like yeah yeah have a look at these images <laughs> we, we had an extensive discussion of the choice of chairs yes. on yes. last week's <laughs> podcast <laughs> yes. the, 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 the never-ending quest to find the perfect neutral chair answers on a postcard please or, oh, no. on, or on Facebook or Twitter if you think you've found a neutral chair why don't you send us a picture I'm with Karis Karis and Laura Walsh from the Sean on this one we know what the perfect neutral chair is but we're not telling <gasps> why not oh. because it's a uh, industry secret <gasps> oh. I don't but if you need one no. we'll provide it I'm desperate yeah. to see it now yeah I'm intrigued um, so that's got us to after lunch and then what happens in your afternoon uh, again back to our to-do list till about five-ish I would have said five, five, slightly five. different for you than me depending mm-hmm. on the show yep. if a show involves a lot of food prep like if a show's got a lot of what we call running props so a lot of drinks or edible props and if it's a show directed by me it's probably got a lot of drinks in it Gordon Barr loves a drink in a show I find it weird if people are just standing around not doing anything. I'm like, I don't really have a drink in their hand. That's just me. <laughs> so, for instance, for last year's As You Like It, um, there was a good half an hour's worth of heating up soup and mixing up champagne and wine and what have you. So I, I'll do that about half four so that I'm ready to head out for five. Yeah. And just for the people who always want to know... What do you make your fake alcoholic beverages out of? Ah. It, it, it should be a closely guarded secret in the industry. Oh, good. Um, it's up to you if you disclose, is it? I mean, <laughs> the closely guarded secret is it's all real alcohol. It is. They're all very drunk on stage. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm not no. having that out there. I will never allow an actor drunk on stage. <laughs> it's pretty simple. It's all down to um, Coke syrup. Uh, for a well-known brand of make-your-own-fizzy beverage, they have syrups with which to make your own cola. So that covers all your brown drinks, <laughs> all your whiskies, all your brandies. Whiskies, beers, uh, champagne right. even as well. Champagne, depending. Uh, for champagne, I, I like I like an apple cordial and fizzy water, mostly because mm-hmm. it tastes amazing and yeah. actors love drinking it. <laughs> That's true. I'm, I've got a good one for red wine. Um, there's a certain supermarket has a red grape juice mm. um, in the kind of the UHT, the carton section of the um, things, and you can just use that straight. Um, it even, looks like red wine because it looks like red wine it's got a really good colour and even diluted it keeps its colour and its richness yeah. so that's uh, you've got to be careful you don't pick something that ends up too pink you've got to remember red wine's not actually that pink yeah. same with blood it's always browner than you think yes that's true we'll, we'll yeah. get onto blood I'm sure at some point I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> so, so yes once we've done the um, the food prep uh, and stuff we um, usually have to head out and start thinking about um, setting up the space for the show, the outdoor show. Um, And somewhere in amongst all of that, you have a quick dinner break as well, don't you? Kind of. Uh, Often not till later. We tend to eat our dinner once the shows are up. Yeah, yeah, which does make it for a a long day when it's a a dodgy weather night. Um, We might not eat until we get home, whatever time that is. Us us heading out at five to start setting up the spaces allows for the deputy stage managers who've been in rehearsals all day to have their dinner break dinner before break. they come out for the show uh, later on. So we'll start to set up uh, and then they'll come along later and join us. And at yeah. that point, we tend to split between spaces. 
yeah, once there's, uh, so we always try and keep two people outdoors on the outdoor setup to keep an eye on things so that, uh, say, I'd be doing barriering, barriering off the space. Um, so there's we... one word every week. <laughs> one word every week that somebody can say. Um, so we rope off the, the lawn for our outdoor performance area just so that we don't have um, anyone else sitting there so we can actually keep an eye on numbers and um, keep the ticketed audience together. But as I'm doing that, Susie will be setting up props and furniture on the mm. on the stage. And the sounds of the lights. And yeah. The um, so it's always good having two people just keeping an eye out in case someone. So if I make Phil, Sam can make sure no one's stealing my my furniture. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you're ba- you're basically doing a get in as in putting the show into the performance space mm-hmm. every single night. Yes. In, yeah. in the same way that in the regular theatre you would leave your set up and we said about rehearsals, you can do that. The same with the show. You can't, it's a public open space. You can't leave furniture out overnight in case either it gets rained on or someone pinches it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, once the, the deputy stage manager comes out um, outside after they've had their dinner, I then usually leave the outdoor space and head to the indoor space in the Kibble Palace to assist the indoor stage manager uh, or indoor DSM to set up the, the Kibble Palace, uh, which fortunately is closed to the public from, I think, six o'clock six, every yeah. evening. So it works a little bit more like an indoor theatre space at that point so that one person can just go around and set up the props and um, any of the set items, any heavy things, I'm obviously there to help set up the sound system. So it's a little bit easier to to set everything up safely and and cleanly. And the shows in the Kibble Palace tend to be less busy with stuff. (laughs) We've talked about that before. Yeah, there is. There's less things. (laughs) She's making your face go, (laughs) I was going, yeah. That that used to be true for me, but my Kibble shows have become more elaborate (laughs) as the years. I mean, Timon of Athens especially had a massive changeover in the middle of the show when we went from the Gatsby party to the Hobo camp. And I remember that being quite an extensive... And the, really? the deputy stage manager had about five minutes. Five minutes. Because although the interval is 15 minutes, you got to wait for the audience to kind of get up and Clear go to the, the bathroom space, before yeah. you can start changing the set around. And then you've got to you've got to go and get the cast from the dressing room, which is about a five-minute walk away from the Kibble Palace yeah. at some point in the middle of the interval as well. So you, so you managed to do an entire set change in about five minutes, five minutes. at yeah. the most. I didn't. With, I, with, I, no, just, you I managed made to the, ask for I it. the stage management with, with, with audience still actually there. In the space. The majority of them yeah. did stay in the Kibble Palace, so you are trying to set everything up around audience that are standing chatting looking at the beautiful plants so yeah the the, the kibble it can be interesting when Jen puts in a big kind of set dressing show but uh, <laughs> yeah it's 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 a fair I love it it's one. normally me gets told <laughs> off gets for having too much oh, yeah. wait till later on later yeah later last later. year was a weird no it wasn't last year it was the year before it was a weird switch Jen wanted everything in the world and Gordon went I want everything very simple yeah, yeah. Let's turn up for this. I can't imagine me ever saying okay. that. I think I might be putting words in your mouth, but you, you asked for less than Jen did and we were weirded out. Yeah, it's not like me. <laughs> so yeah, once the uh, spaces are nearly finished setting up, um, I then flip into front of house We switch mode. again. We switch we again, yeah. In the midst of all that, we'll generally have to sneak in a fight call, uh, oh, yeah. which Susie, you normally run for the yeah. outdoor shows. Uh, whereby the actors run through any stage violence that yes. happens. Everything from a, a push or a shove 
to a stabbing, to a full-on wrestling full on, match, fencing match. Fight. Yeah, and as as the great Tom Duncan, one of our one of our core company members, <laughs> uh, coined "safety first, danger last," yes. and that's very much my mantra. That and there is no comedy in fight calls. Mm-hmm. No, no, Susie no. will Susie will not look favorably on someone larking around in a no. fight call. I I enjoy silliness and humor at all time in my life, except during a fight call. There is no comedy in fight call because mm-hmm. I need to tell if you're genuinely hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what happens in a fight call is each moment of violence, and that can be anything from someone being pushed over to, a, you know, a full-on sword fight, uh, is rehearsed three times before every show. And it's never rehearsed at full speed. You only ever go to about 75% of speed because what happens in a show is the adrenaline kicks in and that gives you the extra level of speed that takes it to normal speed. So every moment of violence that you see in a Bard and the Botanics show will have been fight called three times before every performance. And just to bring back the weather for a moment, <laughs> that can be fun trying to trying to squeeze in a fight call. It has to be dry enough to do a fight call. It has to be time enough to get that done before we have to open the space for the audience. Like it's it's a really tight call and I'm the uh, you know when people ask us about how we make the decision about what time we decide whether the show's going ahead, all these factors come in to play on that mm. because we cannot we cannot send a show out on stage without a fight call having happened. No, no. I think many years ago we tried to I tried to get you guys to to kind of fudge it and uh and not quite do a full fight call mm-hmm. and somebody did get punched in the face that night and ever since then uh it's it's absolutely one of the points where the stage management we completely get to overrule me as as the head of the company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we do banish that every now and again. <laughs> yeah, no, um, but yeah, I mean health and safety is a key, especially on the outdoor stages. Yeah. Um, because um, if it's a slightly damp night, the the stage could be slightly damp, so we need to make sure that the cast are safe uh, at all times, especially in fight calls. Quarter past seven, the outdoor space opens. Yep. Um, uh, so the whole set needs to be set up. Mm-hmm. All costume changes that happen within the stage area need to be set. Thankfully, our cast are normally helpful in setting their own costumes for that because the just the sheer distance you have to travel if you had to carry back the sheer amount yeah Yeah. if you had to carry back 20 costume changes as well you guys would be exhausted before Mm -hmm. we even got the show dsm needs to have done their checks their pre-show checks we need to have done sound check all sorts of things yeah but all of that is done by quarter past seven yes and that's normally when i open the outdoor space for for audiences and that's when i get to shimmy everyone in welcome all the audience in um, and there will be people queuing at quarter past seven already oh earlier yeah. yeah if, if yeah. it's a if it's a sunny night um they can be there from six o'clock there ha- we have had on previous occasions before we've even started there's the people who space. come every year and if you're listening i love you who set up come come about six on a sunny night They'll set up their camping table, they'll get out a full meal, they'll have their lovely picnic before, while they're queuing, and then, they'll have, and then they're ready to see the show once they finish their dinner at yeah. quarter past seven. It's amazing. It is, it's great. Yeah. It's my favourite thing in the world. It's a night out. It's a night out. Cracking night out. Yeah, and my, fa- my favourite thing of putting the audience in uh, every night is uh, seeing the different types of chairs that they bring. Because it's become a lot more elaborate over the it years. It really has, it really has. Um, you, we started five, ten years ago, so it would be a case of 
they would just bring your basic camping chair you can get out in the supermarket for like a tenner, things like that. But um, over the years, our audiences have got more and more sophisticated when it comes to their seating. So you've got the bigger ones, the the ones with headrests, the ones with feet rests, the the really low deck chairs, um, the bits of cardboard, the crates. I've had beer crates come in, people sat in beer Was crates. Was there not somebody with an inflatable yeah, armchair one year? They are my some of my favourites when it's the big inflatable <laughs> sock things that, that you can buy that you just kind of wave around in the wind and oh, uh, yeah. it fills it up. So it's a great big sofa type, uh, inflatable sofa that has, has come along. Um, and then all the blankets, um, picnic blankets and stuff. That seems uh, actually no matter what the weather's doing, there's always at least one or two people on a picnic blanket. Yeah, which I always find amazing. Um, yes, like, when he's been chucking it down with rain. So the ground is really damp, really icky, I mean, but they will can, still come in blankets. You can very much spot a seasoned bard audience member and a, and a newbie mm-hmm. by the level of preparation, preparation what, what outfit they're wearing and how much stuff they're lugging behind okay, them. Especially actually on a sunny night, mm-hmm. because people who aren't used to coming to bard, they've been out all day in maybe their shorts and their t-shirt or their nice yeah. sundress, and they wear that down yeah. to it's the evening. Forgetting that it's Scotland and it gets cold and at half very past nine quickly. It'll get cold regardless of what the weather has been doing during the day. Yeah, with the the space that we use actually is um from about eight o'clock the sun has come off the space um just with the the way the, the sun sets it goes down behind the trees so there isn't actually the sun in the area at all so it does from quite early on in the evening can get quite cold. I mean I have to say I have definitely sat out in that audience myself in shorts and t shirt to the end of the night. Yes, it depends yeah. on it really depends have on we had a long period period of nice weather in which case mm. the whole earth has kind of warmed up they mm. am yeah, so and those are the best nights they the are best great. nights yeah. when it's yeah. just gorgeous and you're sat out there and then you do really want to be on a picnic blanket at the front yeah. there's nothing like it it's yeah. magical we still haven't got the shows open have we <laughs> i don't think so the audience are there so, the so we're pretty much ready to get the shows <laughs> open yeah, uh, I mean, it, it just gives an indication of just how much stuff you guys have to go through. Yeah, so, yeah. so while she's opening the main space at quarter yeah. past seven, I've gone down to the kibble to help the kibble DSM finish their setup and and potentially run the kibble fight call, depending on the timings of, of what's going on at the main space and what the unmentionable is doing over your head. <laughs> and then I open the, uh, you know, I open the kibble and then once you've got the main show up at quarter to eight yeah once the, that that show's actually the main space show's actually started you come down to relieve me at the kibble and finish off the kibble opening up yeah for eight o'clock and to be fair last year i used to go back up to the main space so that i could keep an eye on the big opening wrestling opening, match opening which number. is not which is show dependent but i like to also float about at the back of spaces when there's big fights happening if i can so that i can be there to provide assistance to the dsm if necessary yeah um, what Susie forgot is we also actually um, go and get the cast into position. Oh. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> that so we. Keep... I mean, there's two DSMs floating about, also doing things. This is not yep. just the two of us. Yeah. This is a four-man operation. It is for women. For women. For women operation. We have been um, yeah, we'll get to that. female team for a while. Um, but uh, yeah, so the the cast um get separated into their um starting positions for both performances before we obviously start the shows. But yeah, so once the uh, the cast are in position, if I'm saying by the DSMs take over um and start the shows. And yeah, as you say, you may or may not get your dinner. Provided yeah. everything runs Good. well, we will try and have our dinner during the first half. Mm-hmm. I will normally try and do that so that I can be back at the main space for interval to help the DSM with their interval change. 
mm-hmm. and Sam will usually try and time hers so that she can be in charge of the toilet queue. <laughs> yes, yes, the, the glamorous world of biomechanics. I do <laughs> have to keep an eye on because invariably both shows actually have their intervals around about the same time. I know, time. we try every we try year to separate them and they don't. They always end up, it it's like the last five minutes of one interval is the first five minutes of the mm-hmm. other. So you get two loads of audience all trying to go to the same set of toilets. Yeah, so there is, there's only one in public block of, a uh, toilet block in the, in the garden. So it is trying to make sure everyone gets there, is able to um, do what they need to do and then leave and get back <laughs> to their space in time to see the show. So it's keeping an eye on audience numbers, working out if the indoor space has everyone back in to be able to start the indoor show, if the outdoor space has majority back before and, they start theirs. And again, given the, the distances involved, that is done by the very sophisticated technical method of me phoning Sam on the mobile going, how many people are in the queue? <laughs> so, right, no, I can't start yet. We need, to, we need to give them a little longer. And then phoning back in three minutes and going... What is the last person in the queue wearing? And yes. I watch for them coming up the path. <laughs> when you see a woman in a yellow raincoat, yes. that's the last one. You can start, start the show. The show. Yes. That's, that's yes. It's so sophisticated. It's, it's so sophisticated. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. But you know what? It works. You guys started your day at half nine. We're now into the second half of the show. The show's going to finish maybe about quarter past ten. Mm-hmm. Then you guys have, what, at least another at least another 45 minutes after the show. Depending yeah. on the size To pack of the everything show, yeah. up. But yeah, so we get all the audience out um, and then we pack everything up. Yeah, so again, we tend to split two and two. Myself and the outdoor DSM will pack up the outdoor show and Sam and the kibble DSM will pack up the indoor show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we make sure everything's locked away and the barrier is up and you've chased yep. any frogs and squirrels out of the area. I also enjoy it because it's normally, it's normally dark at that yeah. time and I, by the time you're nearly mm-hmm. finishing yeah. the setup or the take down sorry not the setup they uh and i do enjoy if sometimes i'll still be around and i'll generally still be around the gardens yeah the, uh we'll be letting the cast out the cast uh, the, uh, yeah. uh and if you come around to the stage area to to check in on you guys i enjoy that again it's your fault susie but you have to sing the i'm not a murderer song yeah. Yeah. because it, there's nothing more scary than being out there on your own packing the up stuff dark. nobody else is meant to be in the gardens and you hear footsteps yeah. coming it's yeah. terrifying it so terrifying. we sing the i'm not a murderer song now of course all murderers that we're are listening to, to this cha- we're gonna have to change it because now everybody knows what to yeah. sing any potential yeah, murderers out there know what to sing you haven't yeah. actually sung it so nobody knows the correct tune that's right it's yeah. like yeah. it's like the little tune they whistle in the hunger games you've got to know the tune yes yeah. Yeah. exactly exactly it's yeah, a code yeah. <laughs> so generally about 11 p.m maybe we we are happy if we're out the gardens by quarter past 11 half yeah. past 11 we we, we yeah. take that as a win yeah i think it, we've managed to get it down especially now with having two and two um, yeah. food venue uh that we've got down to about 11 o'clock seems yeah. to be our, our rough thing at least finish the set up and then have it take another 10 minutes to get all your stuff together and head yeah. down to the gate and this this yeah. is the thing it's just this is why you guys walked a marathon between you in one week yeah. because it's just the distances that you're traveling yeah. all the time it's not you're not just popping next door no. to pick something up you're constantly our stores Lots. are further away from the stage area yeah. the every building in the gardens has to be locked up properly everybody has to go and check that so it's just yeah. non-stop for you guys non-stop. comfortable shoes is a key mm. comfortable and waterproof yeah. is the Support, key. supportive shoes yes yes i think i think it used to be uh when you guys started with us which is you know 10 11 12 years ago yeah. now 
you'd finish you'd be more likely to head to the pub yeah. after finishing. Yeah, we'd still do that even in the middle four occasionally. Yeah. Nowadays, not so much. Not so much. Special <laughs> occasions, end of the run, yeah. we'll get the stage management in the pub, but Present. generally it's home <laughs> and to bed so that you can be back in yeah. for, the next morning. For, for nine, nine o'clock next morning to get the coffee yeah. on. Yeah. So, so I think so we've made it pretty clear just what yeah. Just what an insane day you guys do. Yeah. And and we kind of really wanted to articulate that to know just how how much Barton and Botanics relies on the work of you guys and your DSMs, your deputy stage managers. Um and just yeah, just how amazing you guys are. So what would be some of your favourite things about working for Bard and what would be some of the more difficult things? <laughs> Is now the time for the weather chat? <laughs> I mean, we could talk about, we could mention some favourite things first right, before cool. we get into the <laughs> hell that is the weather occasionally. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's the people, isn't it? It is the people. The people in the company. What you guys, uh, Jen and Gordon, do really well is um, bring a company together that has a good company feel about mm. it. We're all in it together. We're all... Um, even the, the, the new... Uh, people that have never worked with us before, whether that be uh, placements from uh, the Royal Conservatory of Scotland or whether that's uh, professional actors that we've cast for the first time. They just, everyone seems to just get it and, and really relish the, the, the challenge that's out It's a company feel. I mean, I know constantly it's, it's mentioned every time anybody asks us about it and it's been on the podcast already, is the family feel of this company. Like you guys and us and Karis and, you know, some of our other creatives, etc who haven't been on and the core company suddenly these people are my best friends now yeah you know yeah work has crossed into my real life as it were yeah i think that comes from the core of it for me is something that i think judy dench once said and you know why would not one follow the advice of judy dench indeed (laughs) almost shakespearean why would one not (laughs) Uh, but she said she takes the work seriously but she doesn't take herself seriously and i think that's how barton the botanics when you're working those incredibly long 14-hour days that we were mm-hmm. just describing. That's how we keep ourselves and each other sane. Yeah. Is that we don't take ourselves too seriously. Yeah, I mean, what we just described could, in some circumstances, be horrendous. Yeah. But we have quite a lot of laughs through the majority of that day. We do. We have... I mean, we've, we've also cried once or twice, but... Yeah, um, exhaustion cry, I think, exhaustion is the, is the, oh, yeah. is the main one. But yeah. Um, we're, yeah, it's it's the fun that we all have with it as well. Mm-hmm. And everyone, part of the company, actor, creator, director, production team, but we are all, front of house team, but we all have a laugh with it because, yeah, we, we all care deeply about the, the work we do and we're all very passionate about it. But it is, again, it's, it's just a show as well. It's also... It's as like, I said, we're not packing parachutes. Yes, yeah, exactly. just you, That's your phrase, isn't it? It actually comes from someone who worked with us in the very early years. He was a production manager before Sam joined the company. And he used to just look at me in the middle of the day and go, Jen, we're not packing parachutes. Which I've always remembered. What you're doing is not life or death. It's just playing at shops with your pals. Exactly, playing at shops. So, a lot of shouting in the gardens in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> Yelling in the park. And I think, so as long as you have that in your head, what's the worst thing that can happen is not that anyone's going to die or get hurt. No. You're sure. Provided you've done a fight call. Especially if you've had a fight call. (laughs) Not if Susie's in charge. So you can get through it then. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It gives you perspective on what you're doing. Yeah. I think. One of the other things that I really like about working for Bard is because of the relationships that we've built up. I mean, I was your guys' DSM for 
eight years before I switched to being the stage manager. And that it was something Harris mentioned on last week's podcast about how everybody involved in a show is creative. Yeah. I think a lot of the time we're viewed by the outside world, if we're viewed at all, as sort of nuts and bolts kind of people. Yeah. And this isn't just Bard, like other companies do it as well, but it's particularly prevalent for me, is we also get some creative input into the show. We get to help, you know, make suggestions and you guys will take that yeah. on board and, you know, we can help Karis with a little bit of the design work. You know, we've got, we, we get creative input that some companies don't let us have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your your opinion, both of you, your opinion yeah. matters to me, to Jeff, Absolutely. I to Karis. I was just yeah. about to say the night that you, if you've not been on my show and the night that you come and see it, I'm always very nervous. Yeah, you were really <laughs> excited because I hadn't seen the Kibble shows. Never last. seen a Kibble show. Never seen a Kibble, I'd never got, I was the outdoor DSM I never got to go to the dress or anything of the kibble show and sometimes if we had a good weather season I would never get to see the kibble show and I got to see both kibble shows last year and Jen got very excited because at one point watching the dress I gasped at something she'd done and she was like that's what I want to be (laughs) that made my day yeah, that made my week. <laughs> and it, it all comes from this notion of the trust that has built up between the core team, mm-hmm. not just in valuing your opinion and your, your artistic judgment, but you know, I know that you and me, Sam, have worked together on, on so many shows now that you know how to source props for me okay. as a director. You know if you're looking at a shelf of books or a shelf of clocks, you'll know what style is going to work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're you're much the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. An example of that would be, um, so there, I can't remember how many years ago, but Pericles. Um, now I always wind you up, Gordon, about, about this instance. <laughs> but, um, so... Stage manager's nightmare. The director changes the concept of the show for Four days before opening. Yes, now and this this was the challenge. Um, and Pericles was one of our indoor shows in the Kibble Palace, and uh, this was um back a number of years ago. So we didn't have the bigger teams, and it was just uh myself uh sourcing everything for the shows. Uh, we didn't have a designer on the show. Gordon was designing yeah. that show himself, um as well as directing. And I do remember, yeah, four days before we opened, Gordon goes, "No, this isn't working. The vision that I had for this isn't working." But there was no vision. That was yeah. the problem. I yeah. suddenly realised. <laughs> I've been trying to go for this, and we talked about it with Karis last year, this idea of an eclectic feel where just anything, you know, you just find a costume item that felt like the character, but it just was ending up a mess that had no focus. Yeah. And you trusted me, you you decided, you suddenly realised what it was, what, what the, the vision was. Yeah, the, 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 whole... the concept ended up being that the whole kind of show had been washed up in a shipwreck, because shipwrecks yeah. are very key to Pericles' story. And, and lots of Shakespeare. So I had three days to um, decorate the Kibble Palace like a shipwreck um, <laughs> or a washed up beach kind of uh, idea and we had to find costume. We had to take a day out of rehearsals to get costume. But the fact that you trusted my uh, knowledge of what you like so much that I just, I, I loved doing that show. It was, I, I always wind you up about it, but it was really good fun just to be, for me to be let loose of going, right, go into whatever prop stores, whatever, uh, wherever you can find. Um, and try because at this point we had no money left or we did had very yeah. little money so I just had to rummage and find fishing nets and um, life buoys and every, lobster pots and all sorts of random things to make this and work and you did it wonderfully but as you, as you always say I get one of those yeah, like one it was fun it. but we're not going to repeat that no no it was, no, it was an exciting it. time but we're not going to do it again so the flip side of the question that Jen asked there was about one of the difficult things about working for Bard so now now it is now, now is we time. mentioned the unmentionable the oh, title wow. of the episode is about how do you manage the unpredictable and the most unpredictable thing that we face 
case is the weather. The weather. Scottish weather. Ooh. West Coast weather. It's tricky. We did always say that if there was ever a like a, a documentary about what we did in the style like they did in like the late late 90s, early 90s, like the cruise ship, ours would be entitled Trolleys and Towels. <laughs> yeah. If one if this season runs on anything, it's trolleys and towels. So yeah. the Donalds are the trolleys in which we lug everything about and towels are our main weapon against the weather. Oh, and also midi repellent. I have to say midi yeah. repellent <laughs> is another is another one. Yeah, because that doesn't matter whether it's bad weather or good weather, there's yeah. midges. Yeah. yeah. The nature of it you do have to be so prepared for any eventuality. And we do tell our audiences that as well. They should come prepared for any weather or midges. But for us especially, we have to have everything at the ready just in case something happens I mean, all the time. If, we, you're pa- if you're packing your day for your ba- your own personal bag for a day of rehearsals at Bard, you have sun cream, sunglasses, midi repellent, waterproof trousers, <laughs> a change of clothes. <laughs> like, literally everything goes in that bag and it's yeah. the same for the season at large because it should be said, good weather can also throw up its own issues as well as bad. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, I mean, we had a summer two years ago... <laughs> the most glorious summer I'll ever remember. <laughs> 2018, oh, where it was almost a broken sunshine, but we were rehearsing, well, I say we, I was inside. Jen, mm. your company was yeah. rehearsing outdoors yeah, you've been, like, in 28 about, degree heat. You've got to yeah, think seriously yeah. about sunstroke, keeping people hydrated, sunburn, yeah. keeping mm-hmm. enough sun cream around. And a previous year, I forget which year, when we did Henry the Fourth in the Kibble. Uh, 2014. 2014. Yeah. And, oh, and it was, again, another, another glorious summer. But when you're doing a show in a greenhouse... In that weather, the temperatures and were getting insane. And when you've got one actor in a, who, in a fat suit playing two roles, playing Falstaff and Henry the Fourth, so wearing a fat suit and Falstaff period costume, and then Henry the Fourth's kingly robes over that. Yeah. We literally had to sew pockets to the inside of his costume and put freezer packs inside his costume to keep his core temperature down. Which was one of the most glamorous jobs you ever had to do. Was at the <laughs> interval, Susie was get the hand down the fat suit. Yeah, there wasn't time to take off the fat suit and change over the ice pack. There was only time for me to stick my hand down the front of the costume, into my elbow in actor sweat, and change the ice packs over. And people wonder why the company's so close. (laughs) (laughs) uh, With his uh, express permission, it should be noted. So when we talk about the weather, and we do talk about it a lot. It's, uh, It's our main thing. And people ask us a lot about it. And the the fact is, the weather doesn't make us cancel as many shows as people sometimes think it would yeah, in no, Scotland. No. The, the average is maybe once a week. Yeah. You know, when it averages out across yeah. a six-week season, maybe once mm. a week um, or even less than that. I think the average is four shows across the season. Yeah. Mm. Gets lost to weather. That does not mean that the rest of the time we're not dealing <laughs> with weather. weather. Yeah. The potential of bad weather the weather forecast versus what it's actually doing. Um, and this is the stuff that you guys, alongside me and Jen, but that you guys really have to deal with. We've all become very adept at reading the weather, which I find, I'm sure you guys do as well, is a skill that you carry for the rest of the year. Mm, that you yeah. can just look at a sky and go, it's going to rain. Yeah, we spend a lot of time cloud watching. Um, we have various vantage points in the gardens that we yeah. look. And we do know traditionally which way the clouds come um, and how they behave over this get, area of Glasgow. We get really confused when the clouds are going in the wrong direction. <gasps> yeah, oh, no, if it yeah. changes, that's very yeah, wind changes. It's it's surreal. But we also have. I, I think I've got like three or four different 
rain radar or apps, weather, weather apps, apps. Yep. weather apps yep. um, constantly changing your mindset which is our favorite yep yep some are more reliable than others yep. um and it, it's it's crazy the amount we do actually look at the weather and it's one thing that i've slightly missed this year with actually not <laughs> doing outdoor performances I've not um, missed it in slightest. But, <laughs> <laughs> delightful not having to care um, it, it's just not look you, you you get out the habit of it but it's always yeah. lovely to actually i've done it i've done it in other rehearsals i remember working on a show last year it was indoor it was an indoor show but we were rehearsing in a really bright rehearsal room and I just I was in the middle of saying like giving a note to an actor and I just went it's gonna rain in about five minutes and everybody stopped and then I was like let's just carry on and five minutes later it started raining and they all were looking at me like some kind of weird savant but you can mm. totally tell because there are things that you notice there's a particular colour of sky there's a kind of darkening and ominous and the, the other the thing go, and the bird stops singing quiet. The bird oh it's the most singing. chilling moment <laughs> when the like, bird song you realise the bird song has stopped no the bird yeah. song has stopped we're in you're trouble like you're five minutes away yeah. from a downpour yeah so the point when we have to make the decision of whether or not to go ahead with the evening show is 6.30pm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And audiences often wonder, why is it there? Why why don't you choose it earlier so that people who are travelling can decide not to come? Why don't you do it? Why don't Later. you push it right up until the show? Let's see the, the reinstalls. But the point is, part of which we've described, you know, there are things that have to happen before the show goes up. Yeah. Things like fight calls, things yeah. like setting up electronic electrical equipment. Yeah. And if it's the weather, if the rain's on, off, on, off, you can't risk doing those things. No. They're unsafe. Similarly, if we make a call at lunchtime, the weather changes so quickly. So and we only really need to, we make the decision at 6.30, but we only really need it to be permanently dry for the length of the show. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And we can even handle a little bit of rain during yeah. the show. So yeah. we yeah. I mean, we kind of factor in our heads what we call hold breaks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A, a you work out from the length of the show, show. How long could we hold the show for to let a rain shower pass yeah. without sending people home at midnight? Yes. yes. And that has met also many factors in the decision as to how wet are the cast already? Are they all about to change costume into something dry? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, are the audience starting to look like they just can't take another one? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> There's definitely been nights when it's been raining so heavily at at a hold or at a, particularly if it rains during the interval. Mm-hmm. And you go, I think this is going to stop in 10 minutes. It's going to stop in 10 minutes. Hang on, there's only six audience members left because everybody else has soaked and gone home. I mean, we, we genuinely try to push things as far as we can. Yes. Within the bounds of what we consider healthy and safe and comfortable. Yeah. yeah. We always talk about it over there. There's two factors. The, the comfort of the audience, because the audience can wrap themselves up, they can break, but, you know, there comes a point where they're not comfortable sitting yeah, it's too in cold by constantly way. and it's yeah. too cold, too wet. Um, and the the safety of the actors yeah. and the whole team, not just the yeah. actors, the, the deputy stage managers yeah. out there the evening mm-hmm. you guys are writing about. And we tend to reach that point quicker, don't we, the safety of the actors? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not just if they're doing a fight and it's slippy underfoot, uh, which everyone can see uh, is a, is an issue. It's stuff like if it's early on in the season, we know that our actors need to be able to project outdoors for the next five weeks. If this is happening in the first week, are we going to make them all ill? Yeah, yeah, yeah we do. You know, it's a duty of care to, we, to everyone involved, yeah, isn't it? To which is okay. less visible to an audience and sometimes harder for them to understand why that's factoring into our decision, but it does. Yeah. And the very worst thing that can happen is that you make the decision to pull because it's pouring with rain at like 7.15 and then you all troop off 
miserably to the pub and at like 7.55 it stops raining. And it's glorious for the rest and of the doesn't, evening. And doesn't rain again yeah. for the rest of the night. It's the worst thing. That is it's the most horrible feeling. Torture. It, it, Absolute torture. And that moment at 6.30 when Sam, Susie, myself, sometimes Jen if you're on the outdoor show, we're stood outside in the gardens 6 30 is the call for the actors so they're all arriving not knowing whether they're to get ready for the Just show or not, not to our eyes as we stand trying not to look park. at us <laughs> yeah. and we're literally staring at the sky watching clouds opening up our apps opening up the rain radars because they're more specifically accurate to this moment than say the met office or the bbc mm-hmm. weather forecast which are kind of three hour blocks and it is the most terrifying it is it is a horrible decision and and, and also generally the point only point at which we ever fight <laughs> yeah. 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 disagree perhaps yeah. disagree. Say it's not yeah. not so much of a fight it's a it's i think it's just because we're we're so determined to go ahead for both the audience and the cast yeah and mm-hmm. nobody likes show interrupt us or a non-performance yeah but at the same time you know like you say it's that it's one of the few few areas where we actually get to outrank you yeah <laughs> yeah because we're trying to take health and safety and all the rest into consideration, it's the most torturous process yeah, it of is, the whole it is, thing. It is. It, a lot of it goes on gut as well. Because we have been working together for so long, we have all looked at that weather for so long, um, it goes on your on our gut feeling of knowing what the weather's going to do, which comes from experience. Sometimes, yeah. majority of the time, we get it right. Um, there are some times when our gut feelings are all wrong, um, and we kick ourselves in the pub later. But yeah. uh, yes, because it brightens up, or it goes the other way. We say we're going ahead, and then the audience has already arrived, and mm-hmm. it just kicks off again five minutes before the show, and you realize it's not going to stop. You're not going to get and. Or our favorite, which is when we realize that God hates stage managers. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> which is you make it. To to the end of the show, show. and then the... and it's been dry and you've, you've made it and you're really proud of yourself and the audience has literally left the gardens and we're packing up and it chucks it down yeah, yeah. and we get soaked. soaked soaked to the bone and of course it's not just that 6.30 cold time where mm-hmm. the show goes ahead if the weather is a little bit uncertain through the night you're we're making those calls constantly all yeah the time. you're running in and out you're going can we carry on in this heavy you know the, if the rain is this heavy how long can we carry on for are the actors getting wet are yeah, they good, good. Oh, this is just level one rain yeah. yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's a bit of mizzle. It's fine. It's fine. Everyone can cope with level one rain. We invariably take our dinner out and sit on a bench nearby yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the space. If it's a dodgy night, we'll maybe yeah. go out and Susie and I will sit on a bench under a tree. We're, um, ne- we're never far away. Never far away. And this is why people, people ask me why you know, I'm here all night, every night for yeah. the season. Mm-hmm. And every night that the shows are on and people are like, you know, your shows are on, why don't you go home? I'm like, because I need to be part of that decision. Yes, you guys are more than capable and responsible enough to make it, but mm-hmm. it's not fair. If, you know, I should be there as part of that decision-making process. Yeah, it's not fun. It's, no, not, fun. it's not fun. No. Other things are fun, though. Other things are other fun. Things things are fun. Are Tell fun. us about maybe a couple of your favourite shows that you've worked on at Bard and the Botanic. Oh, I think it's well documented what my favourite is. Oh, yes. <laughs> I feel like this has come up before in the I, podcast. Uh, yes, I, I realised when I was listening. I loved Comedy of Errors because I was actually going to raise this earlier and what, what are good things about Bard. I'm not traditionally a fan of Shakespeare. I got slightly bitten at school and it could be quite long and boring. And you guys have made me like Shakespeare. Hooray! But <laughs> I still 
still prefer the silly to the Funny serious. Ones. And Comedy of Errors was the silliest thing I have ever <laughs> seen in my life, and it was delightful each and every night. It was the silliest thing. It was, it was definitely the silliest thing I've ever put on a stage. And the, and the word is silly. Yeah. Like, like, it's, yes. It was just joyously ridiculous. And again, one of my favourite props that I've ever had to, to use or make in a show is a balloon sword. I think it's becoming clear already, even from this podcast. I do not love a stage fight. It makes me nervous. But I managed to convince Gordon that what would be hilarious was a sword fight with balloon swords. And I swear to God, I laughed every single night, even though I'd seen it 12 million times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about are. you, Sam Ram? When I was originally a DSM um, for the company, when I first started, DSM stage manager, um, they were the only times I actually saw the shows in its entirety. And one of my favourite ones at that point was uh, uh, Macbeth that we did um, yes. as, a, as a promenade uh, outside, all very rustic uh, setting, uh, costumes made of uh, removal blankets, things like that. It was very much... The finest Harris tweeter. Yeah. I think you'll find not dyed removal blankets at all. What was amazing about that that removal blankets though is that I'm sure there was a review that that mentioned that we had somehow been sponsored by a by a tartan company because <laughs> yeah. we had all of this tartan and in fact it was just these blankets just dyed blankets to dyed like. different colours yeah. um, but it was one of my favourite ones of having one of the, the the fights was one of our infamous uh, events oh god um, this still gives yes. me ni- this story gives me nightmares I to this day I would be at some point during the story yeah. <laughs> so there was um, uh, towards the end as many most people know um, if they've uh, seen Macbeth before towards the end there's a there's a fight between Macbeth and Macduff um, and we won't give spoilers of who wins no we won't um, and I but... would I would just like to say that this fight had been rehearsed to the end to degree. the nth degree it was rehearsed every single day we started on day one of rehearsals it had been rehearsed it was the safest it had been safety checked the actors knew exactly <laughs> okay, what they were doing it was a good fight oh, this was is a, a freak fight. accident it was Calm a, a definite freak accident so there was one point where um so when you're doing fights um the, uh, the actors use a lot of muscle memory you end up in it becomes part of your movement like you're driving a car changing gear that becomes your muscle memory so during fights it actually be- comes without with all the rehearsal time um it becomes muscle memory um and one of the the, the moves there was a dagger fight um and one of the moves Macduff had to disarm uh, Macbeth um and where his uh the disarm happened this cue for the disarm was just a slight tap on the on the arm um but when the Macbeth's um arm was in a slightly different pl- place when it happened um to normal so he ended up releasing the the dagger to the ground but it didn't go to the ground because his arm was in motion so it went flying over his head and straight into the audience um <laughs> it was a little bit Terrifying. I remember Jane standing next to oh, me just God, suddenly. I just, I just turned. I, so there's a watching a dagger oh God. just spin in the air towards a full house. I couldn't stop myself. I just turned my back because in my head I thought I've killed an audience member. Yeah. I've killed it. And what all that happened was because it was kind of spinning, they could see it coming and the audience members just kind of leant apart and the dagger stuck in the ground and everybody yeah. laughed and then they all looked back at the poor actors who then had to just continue the fight yeah with a... one less dagger than they were supposed to have yeah. and they just had to they picked i think they picked up sticks and this was one of your favorite it. shows <laughs> I, I, totally, I, I love that um, but they they oh i still I, have nightmares were, all, about that no one was injured no one was hurt everyone was fascinated yeah. going oh my god this is because i snuck into the audience uh to retrieve the dagger obviously and to check if anyone was out uh 
they was injured anyway. And they were like, oh my God, it's an actual, it's an actual metal tag. Oh my God, that's amazing. And they loved it. The audience absolutely loved it. Thought I it was hilarious. Thought it was part of it. <laughs> I am a few of them. Oh um, my God. We were Look. terrified, but it was just, it was one of those amazing moments. My mo but my most favourite show ever done has to be Hamlet last year. We, on the, the night we were meant to do our uh, tech rehearsal, it was very wet and very, uh, we couldn't do anything outdoors. Um, so they did an indoor run of the show um, in our indoor space, in our indoor rehearsal room. And uh, I got to see, it wasn't with costumes, there was barely any props involved, but I got to see the show in its entirety and, the, and saw the heart of the show. Which, Without having to look at it from a stage management perspective, you exactly. weren't looking for that prop needs this done, yeah. that needs, you or, were just able to watch the story. I was able to watch the story and able to watch up close the performances. Um, and it brought me to tears. Uh, myself and um, Tom Duncan, who was doing uh, uh, some phot uh, photography and some shots for, for archive purposes, the two of us were in absolute bits at the end of the piece. <laughs> it was great. It was Mission accomplished. Um, it was. It was really great because I only ever see it from a distance. Um, because of not yeah. and in an audience and generally when we're watching it we're looking for notes like Gordon says yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and any then any shows that you remember being particularly tricky particularly challenging to, to work on yeah well there's the show that shall not be named <gasps> oh so we have this thing at Pardon the Botanics and Sometimes we're joking and sometimes we're not. Uh, in twenty twelve, yes, which we, which I don't know if people will remember, twenty twelve was an appalling summer in the UK, in the whole of the UK. It rained and rained and rained, and all sorts of events across the UK were cancelled. And we had a production of The Tempest. Yes, yeah, see, for traditionally for Shakespeare companies, you'd think Macbeth is the show that would not be named, but for us. Or it's for the me, tempest. It's the, the tempest. tempest. And we lost half of that show's run, which is the worst it's ever been. While at the same time, uh, there was a production of Romeo and Juliet that was supposed to be happening under a tent, which was flooding. Yeah. It was so, like... yeah, we couldn't, we couldn't get Romeo and Juliet open for a week. It was a week after it was meant to first perform. Yeah. And the only way we got it open was by taking it and putting it inside the Kibble Palace glass house. You know, the tent was meant to keep it, Dry. but it just kept flooding underneath it. And the Tempest was losing night after night. And even on nights when we could go ahead because it wasn't raining, the space had just turned into like this mud bath. There was just like more we were, and more planks of wood being we laid down. We were adding like gravel and bark chips, bark chips yeah. to like this mud pit to make it less slippy, but also not so bad that you couldn't fall on it. It was just horrific. I mean, you said, Jen, that we lost half the shows of The Tempest. The only reason it wasn't more than half was because we made, the, we'd lost so many shows. I don't think it ever got two nights in a row. No. Not two full nights in a row, which is really hard for the actors because there's no they rhythm. They never got a good run. run They're never it. getting momentum. So mm, what yeah. we ended up having to do was Oramore, the venue across the road from the Botanic Gardens, it had an, a free night and we were able to hire it for the last night of The Tempest so that it could at least finish its run but the sight of all of us <laughs> part of the, the with an actual boat yeah part yeah. of the set for that show was was a boat that we'd had built a small sailing and, boat and we talked about the donalds and the trolley and literally sam and i <laughs> trying to balance a boat on one of those little garden trolleys and cross the junction of byers road and great western road to get to oramore like we were sailing. I'm sure what the best part of that is Sam wasn't even working for us. No, that she season. wasn't. I didn't do that season. She just no, came to be she, helpful. Yeah, she'd come to see the show. <laughs> come see the show and be helpful and just could. Ah. Up, 
maneuvering a boat across one of the busiest roads. Oh. I think that might be one of the weirdest things. Yeah, I've that ever was. Done. So, but it has become uh, a bit, a bit of a cursed one. For or us, a superstition. A superstition for us. A superstition. I suspect. Yeah. I suspect we will need to break that superstition yes. at some point because it's yeah. a lovely play, and we they we are. do want to go back to it. So. But I'll still never say the name out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I think my most challenging one, um, and one I really loved, was uh, Love's Life is Lost, um, which Aww. I know probably hasn't been mentioned um, in the, the podcast so far, so far. Um, but it was a promenade uh, performance of Love's Life as um, modern-ish set, wasn't it? Yeah, Quite modern, modern dress. Um, um, I mean, a promenade because Love's Life is Lost all takes place outdoors. Yeah. It's yeah. one of, it takes place in the grounds of the King of Navarre's Navarre. estate. Navarre. Navarre. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we did, we had um five different yeah, yeah five different spaces um that we used in the botanic gardens um and where we went from each space with the audience took them on a journey through the gardens but of course there's me and um uh, Babette who was one of our uh, stage managers at the time um I well the assistant stage manager she came she came in early and we actually had to go and follow uh, you had to go audience. ahead of us to set up the next yeah. space and then, and then come behind, behind to clear the up the spaces clear up. so it was a constant using of donald's uh, and trolleys uh we'd put up a tent with a scouting tent we'd put up set yes because kind of from the premise within the story of love's labor's lost is that the king of navarre and his court have decided not to admit any women and then the princess of france and her uh, ladies in waiting come for a diplomatic visit, so they mm-hmm. have to put the map outdoors. So yep. of course we had a, we had an entire campsite for the princess yep. and her washing line and all. Uh, yeah. yeah, we had an entire kind of outdoor banquet in another yep. space. Yeah, um, <laughs> with a small oh. makeshift stage. Yeah, for uh, the kind of the play without play. I uh, we had picnics in other places. Mm-hmm. They, we had uh, shotgun going hunting. We had we had we, a did, shotgun we had an actual shotgun which in a in a public yep. park had all kinds of licensing restrictions that we had to follow very carefully yes i was extremely nervous when i um had got the police involved obviously because it was a um a decommissioned weapon but it's still yeah. still a gun in a public park so i had i, I spoke to the police i was extremely nervous when they turned up and then they were just like oh yeah no that's totally fine yeah no yeah. that's fine um gosh we had a dead deer we had a we dead deer i mean not a real one no no but no. we had an actual tina the pricket <laughs> see even even the props even the deer Wait, gets I didn't, named i didn't yeah. name tina no no it was one of the i remember tina. which is why it was a d- ridiculous name for a deer i know right yeah. but t- but was not tina was a bit of a diva I tina remember. was a bit of a she would diva. never learn her lines she was quite difficult <laughs> she would never yeah. learn her lines she was always yeah. just sitting on a bench smoking <laughs> yeah. but i do remember that being just just so much fun and challenging that one yeah logistically it was really challenging it but was it was really challenging um, it was really it. lovely to use it was the last time we'd done a promenade ship yeah. it was because because truthfully the financial aspect of it mm. you can only get a a certain size of audience into a promenade performance and so unless the story really demands it which Love Saber's Lost does because it's set basically where we are yeah. um, and that was, but it was gorgeous to use the gardens as the gardens to have everything yeah. that was there was meant to be outdoors yeah. and I do yeah. enjoy queuing outside 
That was back when I was still a deputy stage manager and queuing. You mean as in as in giving actors. the actress cues, not standing in a queue. Yes, just to Sorry. clarify. Yeah. Good clarification. Giving yeah. the actress a cue to to make an entrance, which can often be from very far very away. Very far away. It's, it's very, very important to pick your spot as to where you're going to to sit as a DSM in a promenade. It's a very high tech system that we have, isn't it? Do you yes. Want to explain your queuing system. It's quite system? hard to do. It's quite hard to do uh, out loud, but because it's a very visual method. If you're queuing someone, you get standby and then a go. So standby is your arm fully raised, and then your go is like a big semaphore sweep down, like you're that lady in Greece starting the car race with the hanky. Does require uh, it does require the actress to be paying attention, doesn't it? And and in fact, the right actress <laughs> to be paying attention. That was a different show, but that was very funny. <laughs> One of our uh, silliest moments was during a promenade as you like it, uh, when the queuing distances were massive. There was one particular bit that was right over in the back of the botanics, and people got queued from the top of a hill, basically, to the bottom of the hill. And this one actor saw Susie queuing and thought it was his queue, but it wasn't. It was too early, and he basically <laughs> ran into the scene. In full, in full view of the audience, <laughs> running in character down this he entire hill. He was so happy and excited, because he was supposed to be happy and excited. <laughs> and you literally saw in his face going... I'm coming into my scene. This is not my scene. <laughs> Turn and seamlessly and run straight back up the hill again. <laughs> so I'm going to finish off with just picking up on that silliness. It's a kind of silly question. You kind of almost answered it, Susie, which is just one of your jobs, both of you as stage management, is sourcing and making the props for the shows, the, the things that are handled and, and seen on stage. Do you have a favourite prop that you've had to make or source or create oh that's tough yeah uh, there's been so many over yeah. the years yeah. i mean the balloon swords were a pretty good pretty good contender uh i'm incredibly proud of the of the floral work that i did on as you like it so probably officially that Beautiful. but also last season i very much enjoyed making dead not ed uh, oh, in, yeah. the, in the grand tradition of me naming things uh, for Richard Richard the Third, Richard the Third, we summer. required a dead body, and I had to which make... was the dead body of Henry the Sixth. Yes. And because yes. so many people in the show were called Edward, and so many Edwards died and over so the course many of the Edwards show, died, died. The dead body became known as Dead, but not Ed, which got shortened to Dead, not Ed. <laughs> and just gardeners walking past me while I was making it and doing second takes because there was blood stains all over this thing. I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed hiding him in the shower, putting him in people's office chairs while they were out of the room. <laughs> and he's still he's still tucked up in the corner of our prop store and you go in and there's just a, a very realistic set of legs Eggs. squished yeah, in a yeah. top shelf. Yeah. <laughs> so dead dead not it's definitely up there for me. I I'm not sure. I mean there's there's so many things that we've made or sourced over the years. Um I think I've had more challenging and more fun things to make for the pantos that we do but for the uh just because they're slightly different and bold and bright and, and things um but we spend a lot of time obviously sourcing props and looking for props in in prop stores and and things but uh one of my favorite ones was actually we didn't when we did a show of merchant of venice and it was trying to find scales um a set of measuring Rather. scales Key to the plot. Key to the plot for uh, the pound of flesh. But the I so I'd gone on eBay and um, uh, other auction sites and um, and online and found one that looked beautiful. It was nice and cheap. It was great. Uh, second hand. It was like oh that'll work beautifully. It arrived. Um, I hadn't actually seen how big it was. Um, and it was <laughs> tiny. 
absolutely tiny. I am like, that's so not going to work. Traditional stage management folly is at one point in your career, you will completely gauge the size of something on the internet wrong. Yes. <laughs> It'll either be... We've life, all been there. Life size yeah. when you want it miniature, or miniature when you want it life size. Yeah, yeah. I ended up having to buy like two or three different sets of scales. We still have all of those scales. I have to say. They were, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll use them. Well, they're beautiful events, objects. They are beautiful objects. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the scales and... That was quite a fun one for me. <laughs> one of my favourites of yours was for Twelfth Night. In my 60 set Twelfth Night, uh, Feste had a cane that you turned into. It was kind of like a microphone because her thing that was that she was she was like a torch singer. Her cane was topped with what looked like a, like a 1950s chrome microphone. Yeah. But it was actually a shower head, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's actually a shower head. We still have it and we use it quite a lot, actually. It has popped up in a I, lot of shows now. Lot, so it's, it's got its own little fixings on it to do it on a stick. That okay, was not... Freddie Mercury stick or on a microphone. That so was not it. the prop I thought you were going to mention from that oh. Twelfth Night because one of the more bizarre props oh that has God. been asked for it by a director... ridiculous, so... ...was one of the presents that, in the course of, of your version of the play, Orsino, who's in love with Olivia, kept sending her tokens of his love, gifts. Very and one silly. of the things somehow that you and your cast decided he would send was a goldfish in a plastic bag. Yeah, a goldfish in a plastic bag. <laughs> I'm going to ask why. So for my, part of my food prep for that show was carving the carrot goldfish. And yeah. floating it like like you would get from a fairground yeah. in a little plastic and bag of water. And for whatever reason the carrot wasn't quite as dense as the previous carrot and it looked like the fish had died. <laughs> Uh-huh. There was a, one of the other presents in that though was a flamingo as well, wasn't yeah. it? I can't remember why we decided that he would send her like a garden statue flamingo, Plastic. but ornamental he did, flamingo, which is still in my hall. <laughs> <laughs> Collect your meal, doesn't it? it? Yes, I use it as a meal stand. I mean the the famous flamingo and goldfish from Twelfth Night. Yeah. Everyone I mean, knows that. Everyone sure. knows that. <laughs> sure, obviously. And and on that note, because where do you go after that? Um, <laughs> I'm going to say uh, a huge thank you to both of you, Sam and Sue, not just for doing the podcast today. But um, as will be very clear from this, from the huge amount of work you do for Buy the Mechanics, I hope that in this enforced absence this summer, you guys at least get a good rest, <laughs> if nothing else, uh, so that when we and, come and back next year, we can work you hard. <laughs> and you're drier as yes. well this summer. Means, no yeah. trench foot. Sunburn and trench foot in one day. That's what we always say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the glamour of it all. The glamour, the glamour and the pile of keys. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sam Ramsey and Susie Goldberg. Thank you. This is a difficult time for theatres and theatre companies around the world, and Barton the Botanics is no exception. We are working incredibly hard to ensure that we will be returning in 2021 for the company's 20th anniversary season. But if you'd like to support us and help us make sure that we can be there, please visit our website at www.bardinthebotanics.co.uk and donate to our crowdfunder fundraising campaign that will ensure the survival of Barden the Botanics for years to come. You can also find us on social media. So have a look for us there. We are on Facebook, we are on Instagram and we're on Twitter. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe. Lend Us Your Ears is a Bard in the Botanics production. It is produced by Gordon Barr and Jennifer Dick, and it is edited by Jennifer Dick. Our logo is by Jonathan McEnroe. I mean, I know we've only barely got, we haven't even got to the show's opening yet in our description of our day, but we have skipped out on dodgy weather nights, the time of night when Gordon, Sam and I 
stand. Just stand. I, I, I suspect there's a whole stand. section in this episode Scaring about the weather. The about the weather call. Yeah, yeah, I think the weather call will take a whole section uh, of this. <laughs> Should we, I think we can edit points. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we'll get the shows up. And we may, and we may or may not get our dinner at that point. Yeah, depending on the weather. Depending I feel like we should weather. have the weather chat now. <laughs> no, I I want I want to get to the end of the day. No, we're just gonna we're just gonna assume that the show happens. Okay, okay. the show we're, happens. We we'll no do weather week. separately because we'll the there's weather. a lot of things that can happen during a show yep. if it's a dodgy weather night. So, um, oh gosh, the, uh, yeah, the <laughs> silliness of it all. Uh, 